Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Well, we are going to continue this morning our study of Romans. Uh, now, those of you that were here last week during second service, you know we did not, we didn't, we didn't even get there, okay? We didn't get to the end of Romans 12, and I said, you know, we're going to try and get into Romans 13, and I'm just going to be honest with you up front this morning, we're not getting there, okay? So if you came this morning for Romans 13, if you were like itching to see what is he going to say about obeying the government, um, sorry, I'm going to disappoint you today, because here's the thing. And I trust that by the end of our time together this morning, you'll understand why and hopefully appreciate. It's, it's been a journey through Romans 12, no doubt. This is our fourth, our fourth week in Romans 12, and I, I had anticipated that it might be that way. Uh, and as we come now to the, the last part of, of Romans 12, there are some things that, especially because of last week, I moved very quickly at the end of the chapter, that, that if we don't come back and we don't consider some of these things in depth, then we're not going to be prepared to consider what he has for us then in Romans 13. And, and in, my, in my preparation time this week, especially even last night and this morning, I shared with some earlier, every time I'd get to Romans 13, I was just like, there was a, there was a block. The Lord just kept saying, go back, go back to these, this last portion. And so uh, we're, we're going to do that today because uh, if, if, we, if we cover it too quickly, um, then, then what we can think about aspects of what God calls us to in terms of community within his church can be chalked up to we need to be kind we need to be nice people we need to be giving people and certainly those things would be true but it it goes far deeper than that furthermore if if that's the extent of our study and we then make our way into Romans 13 we're in danger then of considering those first seven verses in Romans 13 as just a simple challenge to you know obey the law the laws of the land. Go the speed limit most of the time. Pray for some people who are in authority, and, and then let's move on. But God has so much more for us in these verses. In this past week, and, and really over the past several weeks, God has been doing a work in this church. People have testified to it. God's, God's doing a work, I believe, and sometimes these are the things that you just, you, you feel like, maybe I just need to whisper it, that he's doing, a, I believe, a work of revival in this church. I'm convinced of it, personally, and I, and I want it. But I know that revival must begin in our own hearts. Revival doesn't just happen around us on a surface level. It happens through us by his Spirit. It happens in us. And here's the other thing that tells me that God is doing something. And that is that for many this last week especially, it was a hard week. I, I didn't speak with every one of you, but I spoke with plenty of people who said, I am under attack. Spiritual attack, spiritual warfare is heavy. Many situations, even within our own body, where there was conflict rooted in, 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 in some cases, misunderstandings that the, the enemy was seeking to use to bring division. Many people confessing sin, and, and though there was a, a certain aspect of, of immediate relief and freedom through that confession of sin, then the enemy came right back in and sought to bring condemnation again. 
a wrestling with, with, with what God was doing. And, and, and so the enemy was working overtime to keep people in bondage. And I have a sense that if we don't deal fully with the last half of this chapter, that there's the potential for some to stay stuck there themselves if we don't fully give ourselves to what the Lord wants to do through this passage. I asked you a question last week. If you were with us last week, I, I asked you, is your heart conquered by love? It's an interesting question when you really begin to think about it. Is your heart conquered by love? Has love mastered your heart? I challenged those here to consider each day over this past week, is my heart conquered by love? Someone after the first service, they were being funny, they said, you know what, you got, you got free space in my head all week, rent-free. They said, you were just there all week long. Has love conquered your heart? Has love conquered your heart? Praise God for that. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. And He was doing that in my life too. Every interaction, it's amazing. As you consider your approach, as you consider your response, as you consider how you'll treat someone, has love conquered my heart? Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Peter says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious, watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter's quoting from Proverbs 10, 12, which says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Peter, as he's giving this exhortation, it's really the culmination of the things that he has said. He says, above all, love. And, and within this context, he's saying, we need to be serious. Church, the time is short. Paul, later in Romans 13, 11, and 12, and I promise we'll get there someday. When we do, we'll read this. Paul says, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Friends, are we taking seriously what we are called to? Or are we asleep? Just wasting time. I don't know about you today, but I think that the church, especially the church in America, could hear an alarm right now that says, wake up! Wake up! The time is short. Jesus said we would be known by our love. And the world is hijacked, this idea of love today. The church should have the market cornered on love. Anybody in the world should be able to say, you want to know what love is? You look to the church. And, and Jesus said, the world will know. They'll know. When we do that, they will know. All this effort that we oftentimes put into getting ourselves geared up for evangelism and how do we share the gospel, and, and those things are good. But so often, like many things, we do this stuff in our own effort, trying to say, okay, how do we reach people? And, and, and what's the message? And, and how are we going to pierce through into people's conscience and their understanding? And Jesus says, just love. Just love each other. It'll be on display. Let me do the work. Romans 12 began with what God desires of us. And that's a surrendered life. Our lives on the altar. Him saying, I want you. I want all of you. And from there then, there was this recognition that the world wants us to. The world wants you. 
There is an enemy of your soul. And he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so we're called to say, Lord, I give you my life. And I'm not going to seek to fit it into the mold of this world. I'm not going to give it over to the evil devices of this world. But Lord, transform me, the Word has encouraged us. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. And then we're able to live out His will. And then with that, we've seen that we're not to think too highly of ourselves or, or too low of ourselves, but to have a sober assessment, a right assessment. And as we begin to do that, then we see that there's a real community for us to be a part of. This is authentic community. When we can serve and love, and, and then when we do that well, when we give ourselves to that, it begins to then spill out, and the world begins to see it, and they know. Has love conquered your heart? Is this your life? The remainder of, of Romans 12 is like a mirror that we can hold up and say, is this my life? We must be willing to not, to, to not keep it at surface level, but to go deep with it, to ask that question, Lord, is this me? To, to be willing to go deep enough to those places where it's a little bit scary, to open up those rooms of your life and to say, Lord, I'm giving you access because that's what full surrender is. And Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, I trust you. And so then returning to Romans 12, specifically verse 9, we read, let love be without hypocrisy. I said last week, no fake love. We use love way too often. We pretend to love way too often. Hypocrisy, it speaks of, literally it speaks of wearing a mask. It speaks of acting, play acting, pretending. This, this love, this type of love comes from that sober self-assessment where you see yourself rightly. And because you see yourself rightly and you see, the, you see all people rightly, equally, the ground being level at the foot of the cross, then we, then we begin to, to understand and appreciate and see others for who they are. Other translations render this verse, love with sincerity. Be real. But listen, we can't love this way unless true love has conquered our own hearts. You think you can love without hypocrisy if you don't know what that love is? We must understand this true form of love which is embodied in Jesus. This, this is why Paul begins with, with, with therefore in view of God's mercy at the beginning of this chapter. He says, look, if you look back on everything before this, if you look at, at chapters 1 through 11, this is it. This is love. This is what he's done for you. That's the example. We love is, is John writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. It's His demonstration of love towards us that gives us right understanding. It only comes from a perfect demonstration of such love. And that's Jesus. Does such love, does Jesus have the rule of your heart? Has love conquered your heart? Paul goes on from there to say then, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Paul writing here, abhor what is evil. It means hate evil. It means allow evil to make you sick. And last week we considered the fact that oftentimes we can take the evil that we see that we should rightly detest, but we then personify that evil. It's difficult for us sometimes, many people being a bit more visual, to think of an evil concept and not put a face to it. But to do so ultimately is wrong. Because 
When we do that, whether explicitly or implicitly, we then justify hatred toward a person, a person made in the image of God. We're called to abhor the evil, not the individual who's been affected by said evil. And furthermore, it's easy for us maybe to to think of evil in the world that we see and, 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 and to hate that evil, to be to be sick from that evil. Certainly, this morning, Wendy shares from daybreak, it would be right for us to be sick over the evil of abortion, to be sick and to hate the evil of racism and corruption and murder. But again, those things are largely external. And they are clearly evil, especially as you consider them through your biblical worldview. But as we think about Christian community and we think about our own lives, I think it's important, again, if we're willing to say, I want to go deep here, I want the Word by the Spirit to change my life, well then what are the evil that exists within us? It's easy for us to look out at all the things happening in the world and say, I hate that. It's another thing to to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal anger in your heart and to say, I hate that anger. It's another thing to say, I hate the lust that I'm guilty of. The idolatry, the gossip, the slander, the selfishness. When you think of hating evil, do you think of that which is external or do you think of that which is internal in your own heart? Take Daybreak for an example. It has become incredibly easy for the church today to say, I hate abortion. And because I hate abortion so much, I'm going to go and I'm going to vote for a pro-life candidate. And by golly, they're going to put a law in place and we will declare victory. How's that working out? But it's a whole other thing for us to go, Lord, I hate how selfish I am that I say one thing, but I'm not willing to sacrifice even a little bit to come alongside a young man and a young woman facing an unplanned pregnancy and to not just say, hey, you should have that baby, but to say, I will help you. I will serve you. What do you need? To look at our foster care system and to say, boy, what a a tragedy. Boy, I hope hope somebody does something about that. And we go on about our business. Guys, this kind of community, this type of love, our understanding of it is rooted in sacrifice. It will cost you something. Warning to you right now as we continue to understand what we are called to in terms of Christian community, it is uncomfortable. It requires sacrifice. It is messy. It is hard. You will get hurt. And for those reasons, the church today has largely stepped away and said, I just don't need that kind of community. I'm good with a Sunday morning topical kind of thing. And then not only that, but we, but we look at the evil that, that's easy to identify outside of us. And, and, then, and then to cling to what is good is, is, is to promote elements that are also outside of us rather than to, again, look internally and say, I hate this evil that continues to exist within my own life. And Lord, why is it there? And to then begin to go, Lord, you call me to cling to what is good. And so what are the things in my life that maybe I'm just allowing in? And it's a simple garbage in, garbage out equation. 
Because we know we're called. Paul elsewhere in Philippians will say, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so it's then incumbent upon us to evaluate in our lives what's coming in. What am I allowing in? And I'm not challenging you today to become legalistic. I'm calling you to be strategic, to be thoughtful, to to, to consider what what am I putting before myself? Where am I spending time? How am I spending time? What am I listening to? What am I seeing? What are all the things that are coming in? Now maybe it makes sense why I'm struggling with anger, bitterness, lust, whatever that thing is. Because from here, Paul's saying, look, When we begin to do this, it begins to to, to work something in us such that we can continue then to progress in community. Verse 10, be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. This is Philadelphia. This is familial love. We say we're a family. Do we treat each other that way? Do we love that way? In honor, giving preference to one another. Authentic community is experienced when we really begin to show love and preference to one another. Other translations render this, outdo one another in showing honor. What a concept. You guys, all, all the, the competition. For most of us sitting here right now, you're good at competing. It doesn't take much effort in, in just about anything. I'll use the same example that I did in first service. Let's say afterward today we said, hey, we, we need to clean the carpets in here after service, and so it would be a wonderful thing if everybody could just help by stacking up the chairs and putting them all to the side. Somebody is going to say, I bet I can stack my chairs higher. Somebody's going to say, I bet I can stack my chairs quicker. And you're going to have fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're like, hey, you know, let's do this. And then somebody's like, no, that's not for me anymore. But you're just lying because your back hurts. And you just know you can't hang anymore, right? But you're like, man, this is driving me crazy. I mean, we do this all the time. We do it in conversation when we one-up each other. Always seeking to compete. Individuals building their little trophy cases, thinking that somebody's impressed, that you got something to prove. What if we were all about just outdoing one another and showing honor and love? And oh yeah, the world would take notice of that. They would say, you guys are weird. All you guys do is compete about who can love each other more. I I can love you more. No, I'm going to love you more. And and sometimes we think that this is just between like a mom and a little baby. But why not? Why not within the church? Why not challenge each other in that way? I'll outdo you. I'm going to show you more love than you can show me this week. I mean, what a social experiment. Think of what would happen. And listen, this isn't just, oh, you go first. Next week at the picnic. Little plug there, right? Come on out. It'll be outside. Beautiful weather. Come out to the picnic. But this isn't just you standing at the dessert table and being like, oh no, you have that first piece of pie. <laughs> That's called polite. Okay? That's just being polite. This kind of outdoing one another, this consideration of one another, it goes far deeper than that. Consider for a moment what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. You, you know this passage. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as 
better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Paul says, have that mind. That's not, oh, you go before me. That's not, oh, I'll be polite. That's, I will die for you. And we may look at that and say, yeah, my, my family, sure. My family. Do you love that way? Because there's not a footnote there. There's not sort of a, oh, if they meet this condition, if they do this for you or do that for you, then that's how we're called to love. And so, yes, it should be for us when we read that, something that causes us to, causes us to think, how in the world can I possibly learn to love that way? If that's what love conquering my heart means, to have the same mind as Christ, then then my goodness, Lord, I feel so far off. And how do you think we get there? How do you think we experience that? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body a living sacrifice. He says, give it to me. You are not intended to figure this out on your own, to muster up this type of love to be demonstrated towards another. You are called to say, Lord, here's my life. You do this work. You change my heart. And some of you in this body have been praying recently, Lord, do whatever it takes. And that's a really scary prayer. And the awesome thing is he's beginning to do it. He's doing it because you've given him access, because you've surrendered. And so, yes, the enemy is coming and he's attacking you. And you're thinking, what's going on? I'm under attack. Must be doing something right. Because those of you who think that, hey man, things have just been pretty good. No issues, no worries. Why does the enemy care to mess around with somebody who's just skating by? But if you are seeking to live your life for him, to be on fire for him, to make a difference for him, that you might be used to reach people with the truth of the gospel, he's going to seek to stop that. But when that happens, you needn't fear because he said, I am with you. Once again, Romans 8, 28 through 30, we've considered this verse many times. God is working all things together for good. But why is he doing it? He's doing it in response to those who love him so that he can conform you into his image and prepare you for eternal glory. There's a purpose behind his work. So he's saying, I want to make you more like me and I want to prepare you for glory. I began a work in you. I will complete that work. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to complete that work in your life. For us to have this heart, this mind, has love conquered your heart. He says, not, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. J.B. Phillips writes, let us not allow slackness to spoil our work and let us keep the fires of the Spirit burning as we do our work for God. And so here's an important thing to consider, and Paul deals with this elsewhere in Colossians 3.23, that in everything that we do, we do it as under the Lord. And so as you're seeking to love well, and as you're seeking to enjoy community in this way, keep Christ as your focus. You're doing it for Him. You're serving Him. And as you do that, He will continue to give, his, give you His heart, His perspective, to see others rightly, to see yourself rightly. But it also says here, and I would translate it differently, Christian, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Let's not just take a half-hearted attitude towards these things, but to enthusiastically and energetically serve. 
Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, discipline yourself toward godliness. There's various levels of discipline, no doubt, represented in this room this morning. Some of you find yourself to be quite disciplined, and some of you are like, no, not a chance. But here's the thing, even amongst those who feel like you're not very disciplined, you do certain things every day. You do them every day. You commit yourself to certain things every single day. We must be disciplining ourselves towards the things of God. Giving ourselves to those things. What do you spend time on? How do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? What do you give yourself to? What gets you excited? If you're thinking, oh, pastor, don't go down this path of making me not enjoy my hobbies anymore. And Listen, hey, praise God. If you got time to, to, to do something, you could go out and play golf, well, then praise Him for it. But be willing to evaluate how much time are you giving to that. Be willing to, to, to evaluate how excited you get for the things of this world. And it's always an easy one to harp on during the fall. Because you got football on Saturdays. And then again on Sundays. And then Monday night. And then the Thursday game. And everybody gets so excited and gets so passionate. And so upset or so elated. And yes, I would challenge us to say, is that same level of energy demonstrated towards the things that God is doing? It's not an unfair challenge. It's deer season. Suddenly people learned how to get up early. <laughs> now, I'm not a morning person, you know. I just, yeah, it's not my thing. Deer season, boom. You're sitting in the woods in the dark at 4 a.m. And you've poured deer urine on yourself. That's weird. <laughs> what do you give yourself to? Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Guys, can I tell you that verse 12 is intended to, to capture, to encapsulate what our fellowship is to look like? Rejoicing in hope. We should be regularly encouraging one another with the truth of the gospel and with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It should not be one of those things where we're sort of like, ah, don't, don't go dragging the Bible into it. I'm frustrated right now. No, it should be one of those things where we can go to a brother or sister who's struggling and say, look, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. He has sealed you and given you a promise that you have an inheritance that's beyond your comprehension that it is a guarantee that you will be with him in eternity. That he is with you, he will not leave you, he will not forsake you. And, and, and listen, I believe this, and I know we can debate some of these things. I believe that, that I am absolutely invincible until God says it's time. And we can deal with some of the challenges of that in a Q&A, but my God is so big that I know that my life is in his hands. And it should not fall on deaf ears when we seek to encourage somebody in a difficult place in life that Jesus is with you. That should be regular encouragement. This is what this is saying. Let's rejoice and hope together. Let's encourage people this way. Guys, commit to practicing that. This week at ladies' study or Wednesday night or you go out to lunch with people. Point people to Jesus. Patient in tribulation. This is a tough one. It seems an oxymoron almost, does it not? Patient in tribulation. Tribulation here is the Greek word phlipsis. It speaks of an extreme pressure. It was rooted in a form of torture where the person would have a large stone set upon them such that as they would breathe and they exhaled, the stone, because of the weight, would 
press further down upon their body, preventing them from being able to inhale and take another breath to fill up their lungs. You ever feel like such are the trials of life? You can barely breathe. So heavy upon you. And we might be able to relate to that, but then the word says that we should be patient in this. It's the word hupomone, which means to remain under. And so the implication here is that, look, sometimes these trials come, but when you're in Christian community, you are there and you're under the pressure of this, but you have your brothers and sisters in Christ reminding you, God is with you. Rejoice in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. You can do this. Stick with this. Don't give up. And, and how is it that we do that? Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Guys, prayer has the ability to unlock power within his church that I, I believe we don't even, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of this. What, what I'll share with you here as it pertains to prayer is not intended to be an indictment upon us, albeit it may seem that way. I believe that here we have yet to truly commit ourselves to and experience a great work of prayer in this church, the degree to which God would desire for us. And, 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 and we pray. Trust me, there's times we pray. And I will tell you this much, 6 a.m. prayer on Tuesday mornings is it's getting, a, it's getting bigger. When we start with two and two more show up, it's, you know, it's a big increase. But revival has always been preceded with prayer, and oftentimes it's prayer groups of, of two, three people. And God's doing that work. Praying before studies and before our midweek. I know many people love the, the time of prayer before our midweek, the, the family environment, sharing their prayer requests. But here's the thing, and I don't, I'm not trying to diminish this, but so often in our prayer gatherings, 90% of it is about all the ailments experienced by the people that we're close to. Once again, don't misunderstand me. We, we see clearly in Scripture, James in particular talks about if any, anyone is sick amongst you, there's exhortation to pray. But that's like half a percent of the prayers that we see in Scripture. The majority of the prayers that we see in Scripture are the kind that are, Lord, change my heart. Lord, show me. Help me, Lord, to understand and to know You more. To grasp the depth of Your love for me. Prayers of confession. The, 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 uh, the blah. Inside, I was processing this word. I'm like, that's not the right word. <laughs> to abhor the evil that's within us? How about we get to a place in terms of Christian community where we come together in this setting and we just, we're bold enough to go, I'm not praying for so-and-so's back. What I'm saying is, I've been struggling in sin for far too long and I've been keeping it a secret. And the weight is overwhelming. And I know the Holy Spirit has convicted me of this and the only way for me to find victory is to bring this sin into the light. And I need my brothers and sisters who I love dearly and who I know love me to come around me and pray for me. But far too often we're too scared and the enemy convinces us that no, you're, just, you're going to be cast out, you're going to be ostracized. That's not the community we're talking about. And these are the things that make for revival when we begin to see confession and repentance. And the Lord begins to change and people now are walking in freedom. I know that there are people here this morning, I know there are specifically men here this morning, you're continuing to deal in secret sin and you're trying to fight the battle on your own and you're failing. And if you want to walk in freedom, it needs to come into the light. 
Now there's times and places I get for sharing all the details. But guys, are we willing to enter into this? And as we experience this type of community and then we're invested in this way and we, then we begin to give sacrificially because, because now we're connected. Now it's not just so-and-so and I wave to them on a Sunday morning, but no, I know what they're going through. And now the Holy Spirit, because we're spending time in prayer together, the Holy Spirit can move on your heart without us even having to put out an email that so-and-so needs something because the Holy Spirit's speaking and saying, look, you need to do this for this person. And so we begin to give sacrificially. We begin to open our homes. We begin to say, and, and guys, there's, some of that is happening here. I'm not suggesting that none of that happens. But I want to see more of it. One of the things that blesses me so much is when I learn how the body is caring for one another. And then this type of community, it communicates something to the world. And, and it's to the world that, that Paul shifts next. And just as I said before, we can look at these verses here, the remaining verses in this chapter, and we can kind of take them as surface-level exhortations. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, that seems kind of hard to do that, but I get it. There's a challenge. i got to just say, hey, God bless you to this person I really don't like. Okay, let's move on. No, are we willing to go deep with it? Are we willing to allow the, the Spirit to search our hearts? I want to do this, and, and, I, and it may be unfair in the remaining time we have left because it's, it can be kind of heavy, but I think it's necessary. I want you right now to think of a person in your life who has hurt you. I want you to think of a person who has wronged you, a person you've struggled to forgive. Maybe even still today, this is, the reality is you've not forgiven this person. So deep was the wound. Now with this person in mind, and mind you, yes, this exhortation is for all, but for our, our exercise today, have this person in mind. I want you to bless this person. Don't curse. Because what Paul is saying here is, again, not that I'm just going to say, oh, God bless you like they sneezed, or not that I'm just going to go, okay, fine, I won't, I won't hope that they get hit by a bus, which sounds really harsh, but it happens. We say these things. But no, what Paul is saying here is that you would, you would be praying for them. You would be praying for their salvation. You'd be praying for God's blessing upon them. Lord, do an awesome work in their life. Bless them, Lord. Strengthen them. Work in their life. With that person in mind, can you do that? Are you able to pray that way for them? To do so requires forgiveness. If, if the person you're thinking of, if you're honest with yourself and you say, I don't know that I can truly pray that way, well, then you're in a place where you've yet to forgive them. And I don't say that from a place of condemnation. That's just a real challenge for us to say, okay, I've got to be willing to say, I haven't forgiven them. And then if you don't, if, you, if, if you're unwilling to engage in that process, if you refuse, well, then look, bitterness is just going to take root in your life. And maybe you're sitting here today and say, no, I think I'm good. But the problem is bitterness doesn't tell you when it shows up in your heart. It doesn't announce it. Hey, I'm here now. No, it just works its way in. And you continue to convince yourself that you're good. And if you're not willing to go through that process saying, Lord, reveal these things to me, then you just keep drinking poison and expect the other person to die. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This isn't, the, this isn't us. It's easy to say, my friend's happy. I'm happy too. My friend's sad. I'm sad too. No, this is to picture the enemy, to picture the person that, that's hurt you. And to not just feel sad for them, but with them. Feeling burdened for them. Seeing them the way that God sees them. Knowing the truth that is declared in Romans 2, 4, that the goodness or the kindness of God leads to repentance. And because you're desiring this for them. This is be of the same mind toward one another. 
Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And it's easy when we engage in this process to become pharisaical, to think, oh, look how good I am. Look what a great example I am. But no, we need to think rightly of ourselves, soberly of ourselves, knowing that to treat individuals this way, even those who are enemies, it's my reasonable service. I've been forgiven much. Well, the forgiven should be forgiving. And of course, we know that in our culture today, there's such extremes in this idea of being able to just sit and see a person as a person, and even if you don't agree on everything, just to have a conversation and keep it civil. So rare. But it shouldn't be amongst the church and the church towards the world. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men if it is possible. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He's saying there's, there's not to be any retaliation amongst believers. We're called to be at peace. We don't repay evil for evil. And look, I'm not talking about, because a lot of times when people see some of this stuff, especially that today, there seems to be this sense of, well, you know, the church has to stand up and the church has to do this and do that. Well, yeah, they do. But not in the way that, that, that we often suggest. And, and, and to say that we need to love one another is not some just touchy-feely, mushy thing where we're just going to not, not seek to protect and to defend the innocent when they're in peril. No, not at all. This is about committing this, and I'm not going to get somebody back. I'm not going to pray for pain and suffering in somebody's life to, to wish ill upon them. He says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. There's no loopholes there. What is it that depends on you when it comes to forgiveness? Everything. It's all you. Some might say, well, what if this person doesn't want anything to do with that? That's called reconciliation, not forgiveness. We need to practice forgiveness. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is God's way of saying, I'll take care of it. Don't you concern yourself with all these things. You just love. I'll work all this out in my time. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And you think, coals of fire, now you got my attention. I'm going to dump those on him. No, it's not what this is saying. And this is entirely countercultural. You want me to serve my enemy? The person who's wronged me? Yes. And this coals of fire, and this was an ancient tradition that when someone wanted to communicate that they were wrong, that they had a change of mindset or thought, they'd take a pan of hot coals with a towel, like a hot pad, and set it on their heads and, and walk around to different places, which seems odd. But it's a way of communicating something. It was a way of communicating repentance. I'm sorry. I've changed my mind on this. And so treating them in this way leads to repentance. Kindness leads to repentance. Or you can be like Jonah. I'm not going to have any part of that. Not them. How to work out for Jonah? Would you rather maintain your stance <clears throat> of justice and bitterness? Remain in a prison of your own making? Or allow truth to set you free? <clears throat> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 21. This is how the Christian fights. With good. What would happen if, if we started living this way today? If we were radically committed to surrender, to love conquering our hearts such that it influenced every interaction within the church and spilled out into the community. And, and, and hopefully then you see that, and as we consider the evil in the world today, and we think of the things that do make us angry or upset, 
whether it's an individual person who's wronged us or whether it's a, a, a system or, or, or a global issue, whatever it is, we overcome those things through good. We overcome those things through love. And now you start to then bring into view, and this is why I felt today was important, because as we make our way then into Romans 13, Paul's not just going, oh, really quick, let's just talk for a moment about obeying the government. No, he's saying this is an outpouring then of a community that understands this. And so next week as we, as we make our way into that, we're going to use this as the foundation for how we engage as citizens. And yes, there are, there's doctrinal things that we'll consider in terms of God placing in authority those who are over us and what that means and how we're to handle that. And no, I'm not going to disregard elements of civil disobedience, times when we should say, hey, government, you're saying this, and this is inconsistent with the Word of God, and so I need to do this instead. But when we do that, we do it in love. We do it with respect. That's how it's to be done, such that the world can see that's different. You passionate about daybreak? Visit the table out there. Learn more about it. That's our local, that's our community's pregnancy care center. There's a great work being done there. You pro-life, you passionately pro-life, don't stand behind some legislation as the solution. I will tell you, not only is Roe v. Wade bad law, but most of the legislation since that time that's intended to limit abortion in our country has also been bad law. That's not the way to fight it. The way to fight it is with love to be willing to sacrificially enter into the lives of other people, to say, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to do that which costs me because he's greater. Because this is how we function. To do good, to bless, to care for, to protect, to serve, to sacrifice. That's what his church is to be about. That's the community I want. That's the community he wants for us. Is that the community you want? It starts with surrender. And that's the amazing thing about it, is it just starts with us going, Lord, I'm yours. You do the rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together here this morning. I do pray it's been pleasing to you, and that by your Spirit it will bear much fruit in us. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, continue to use it by your Spirit to bring transformation in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be a people surrendered be people willing to pray those dangerous prayers of, Lord, whatever it takes. Change me. Make me more like you. Conquer my heart, Lord. And may that work that's accomplished in each of us, Lord, bring about something wonderful through all of us together, Lord, in our community. Where we long for revival. I pray that's the de desire of each of our hearts. Do that work, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.